Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm a little bit unimpressed of the discipline and the training level of the Russian forces. As bad and as horrific as this is, we want to make sure that we do not see an escalation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My sense is that commodity prices will remain very high, elevated, certainly over the next few months, probably the first half of the year. Do Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China? On a political basis, the answer is no. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The war in Ukraine enters week three. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we bring you the latest from Warsaw to Washington with no deal to provide MIGs to Ukraine. But billions of dollars in financial assistance moving through Congress on the way to Kyiv. We'll talk about that and funding the government before tomorrow night's deadline with Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. Can anything else pass Congress this year? We'll ask Bill Hoagland coming up, senior vice president at the Bipartisan Policy Center. And as the White House now warns of a possible chemical attack in Ukraine, another false flag, they say. We're going to hear from the panel on this and the missing MiGs. And thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Sound On. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to start here domestically in Washington, inside the bubble. We're going to expand into Ukraine as we make our way through the hour. Because it was a very late night on Capitol Hill, and there's not enough reporting on this. The House passed a massive government funding bill. Lawmakers didn't get out of there until about 1 o'clock in the morning. Aid for Ukraine was included. Nothing for COVID response, though. Even after the White House asked for $22 billion to pay for COVID testing and treatments, it's now onto the Senate with this bill with a goal of getting it done by tomorrow night. That is where we begin right now with Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg. Joe, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I know you had a late night last night, so I appreciate you hanging in there for us today. You passed a $1.5 trillion omnibus budget in the House. You passed billions in aid for Ukraine. Do you believe the Senate will do the same before the deadline Friday night? You know, I you know, I do expect them. Uh, the, the negotiations from the appropriators were with the House and the Senate appropriations, both Republicans and Democrats. So I think they've got a package that they've agreed on. For me, you know, certainly uh, even building upon uh, the defense increases on President Trump. This uh, budget does even more uh, in the military, which we're going to need. Uh, our world has become dramatically uh, more dangerous here in the last couple of weeks. And so I think that was critical. Uh, I also think, you know, getting Ukraine relief now, uh, getting those dollars allocated was was awfully important mm-hmm. to me as uh, as well. And then, of course, uh, yesterday or last night, late last night as well, I think Congress took a, a big step in both parties working together in agreement to immediately ban purchases of Russian energy. I think that's really crucial. I want to ask you about this disagreement over COVID funding that held up the bill for a little bit. It was eventually stripped completely out of the legislation. The White House congressman is now warning of severe consequences. They say the nation's testing capacity will begin to drop this month. The supply of 
Monoclonal antibody treatments will run out in May. Antiviral pills will run out in September. We know there could be another variant on the horizon. I just wonder if you're concerned about weakening our response to COVID, because if the White House comes back for another ask, the conventional wisdom here is the answer will be no. Well, there was strong support uh, from Republicans and Democrats for more COVID relief focused really on, on what we think the administration took their eye off the ball on new testing treatments and therapies. The problem is that, uh, you know, the, the most progressives in the House balked at paying for that COVID relief. And the way both Republicans and Democrats had proposed it together was to repurpose some of the money that wasn't yet allocated from the last nearly $2 trillion mm-hmm. COVID stimulus. It seemed like a fiscally responsible way to do it. Both parties agreed on it, but there was a small group in the House uh, on the progressive side that balked at it. So, you know, I think the White House needs to work together with both parties in Congress. There's absolute support for this. Yeah. Apparently there's a disagreement among some on how to pay for it. But you would support passing some version of that COVID funding if it came up as an individual item? Yeah, I think that makes good sense. The package that was proposed by both parties to be mm-hmm. voted on, mm-hmm. I thought was pretty sound. You mentioned uh, the banning of Russian oil, Congressman. You've been calling for more drilling in Texas since long before a war broke out in Ukraine. Now that the Biden administration is calling for increased domestic production, it's been fascinating to see the response. A lot of drillers are saying no. They don't want to get burned by another glut of crude oil. Is it time to incentivize U.S. drillers to produce more? Well, I think they, frankly, they are eager to produce more in the U.S., to ship more in pipelines, to refine more in the U.S., and get that out to the regions that need that, especially the regions that have become the most vulnerable and dependent on Russian oil. That would be the Northeast and the in the uh, in the Northwest. There, uh, the challenge has been that this administration has just erected one barrier after another on more American-made energy, and certainly, I think uh, not just drillers, but you see the pipeline and and uh, finding area where the administration is just red light. Don't do any more production here, and so I think they're. They have good reason to pause, but frankly, uh, my biggest frustration with ending immediately ending purchases of Russian oil is mm-hmm. the administration is telling us they are not going to accept more U.S. production. They are going to Venezuela, Iran, and Saudi Arabia for more oil. Yet we have the cleanest oil and gas produced in the world. Yeah. So it, it's been very frustrating for us. Well, the energy secretary was at the Sierra Week conference in Houston yesterday almost begging drillers to produce more, saying it's a time of war, that's the patriotic thing to do. You know, that that seems to me pretty disingenuous. This administration, I've never seen an attack on American-made energy like we've, uh, we've seen from this White House, midst of all a government attack on it. So I, I think that's... Um, you just don't I buy it. a very hypocritical uh, yeah, statement. We dedicated a good chunk of the program to this issue last night, Congress, when we spoke with Senator Bill Cassidy about his call for Operation Warp Speed for U.S. Energy. After the White House pointed to the 9,000 unused drilling permits that the president mentioned the other day, Senator Cassidy says it's not as simple as that. There's a lot of red tape they are not acknowledging, and it turns out it's not as simple as what we're hearing from either side here. You know about this business. What do drillers need to start using those permits? What red tape needs to be cleared out? Yeah, first, they do need permits to go forward. There's environmental permits, not just actually having the lease itself. 
the administration has shut down that uh, pretty significantly. You've got to know when you uh, pull something out of the ground that you can get it to a refiner. So those pipelines are crucially important. As you know, the president shut down Keystone, which alone could have, with Canadian oil, completely replaced all the oil we get from Russia. You know, that that's a problem as well. And of course, financing, the administration continues to really kind of step on the air hose on how you finance more uh, production exploration in America. And without that, it's really tough to go forward. Well, we're having this conversation against the backdrop of the highest inflation that we have seen in a couple of generations, a new number out this morning in the CPI that has a lot of folks concerned. You can see the reaction uh, today was immediate in the markets. This White House has been talking about inflation for months now, got CEOs together to talk about supply chains. They're trying to get the CHIP Act passed. They're trying to lower energy prices. It's been said that this is a global problem. How does the president of the United States address it for Americans? Yeah, unfortunately, America is leading the globe. We have the highest inflation of, of all the developed economies by a significant margin. And, and this report this morning marks a full year of raging inflation in the U.S. It's really crushing uh, families and small businesses. And our estimation, it's wiped out three years of wage gains for average Americans. I get frustrated, honestly, that the president continues to blame everybody but his own policies. But it's clear this inflation took off at the passage of his $2 trillion COVID stimulus. And without getting workers back, you know, and reconnected uh, with his effort to even more fuel uh, uh, inflation with more government spending, I worry you're going to see more of this. A lot of this, of course, had to do with the pandemic, not just the spending uh, to, to respond to the pandemic, but the rampant demand that we've seen uh, that's really kind of upended a lot of uh, traditional economic scenarios here that's confounding a lot of pretty smart people, Congressman, is getting more people back to work and getting wage inflation under control part of the solution? I think it's a key part of it. Perhaps not all, but I would say that is the major uh, initiative we should be undertaking because the truth is we don't have the workers to man the production lines, to assemble the products, right. even deliver those products. That's, dri that's not just supply chain. It's driving up those prices in a big way. And so the biggest thing we could do is reconnect workers to the workforce. We're starting. The good news, we're starting to see some of that uh, in last month's jobs report. We had, a, we had a good number, mm -hmm. I think, in, in, in big part because those COVID emergency programs, you know, have ended. So people know they need to, to reconnect. I think that's been incredibly helpful. And my, my recommendation is, look, stop spending all this frivolous money on different issues and lots of subsidies for, for the wealthy. And let's focus on how we reconnect more workers, how we attract more workers. We may even... Uh, need to expand some of our visa programs and make sure we've got to use a global workforce to help us solve these issues. Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. We thank you, as always, for your time today on Bloomberg. Thanks, Joe. Take care. So the House passed the 12-bill spending package we were talking about. It would boost non-defense discretionary spending, 6.7%. Defense spending would go up 5.6%. And did you hear it includes earmarks for the first time since they were banned in 2011? 
House leaders attached $13.6 billion in Ukraine aid to that package. And as we referred to, the COVID money came out. That was over $15 billion. So coming up, we turn to an insider for a sense of where Congress goes from here. Can anything else get passed in a midterm election year? I know it's a big question. How about that COVID money as well? We'll ask Bill Hoagland of the Bipartisan Policy Center coming up next. On Bloomberg Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Glad you're with us as we get things rolling. We will be joined by the signature panel in the second half hour. Rick and Jeannie with a lot in store there and traffic and weather and the markets coming up next. Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, at least the lights will not be going out tomorrow night. And to think no one even threatened a government shutdown? Are we just giving up on opportunities now? We'll take the wins as we get them. Things have changed a lot since Bill Hoagland was working in the United States Senate. He was director of budget and appropriations in the office of Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist. He's now Senior Vice President of the Bipartisan Policy Center. Bill, thank you for coming back. Should we assume that the funding bills that passed the House last night will pass the Senate tonight and we won't talk about this again until next year? Uh, there's a, uh, thank you, uh, Joe, for having me. Uh, yes, I think you. they'll pass. I, I'm not sure it's going to pass this evening. There are some shenanigans going on on the United States Senate floor. Surprise, surprise. Uh, one of the senators, Senator Scott, wants to pull out the funding for the Ukraine money, uh, emergency $14 billion, from this, what we call, omnibus package. Yes. Uh, and he's, uh, he's uh, uh, holding up the consideration of this uh, full bill until he pulls it out and uh, he thinks he can pull it out. Trouble is that uh, uh, Mr. Schumer does not want that to happen, and so uh, uh, we're going to we're going to pass it. It's going to pass yeah. at some point here, but it may be tomorrow before they actually get it done, uh, as typical, right up to the bitter end uh, tomorrow uh, before they would actually face a government shutdown. But I don't yeah. expect a government shutdown. No, not at all. They did pass um, the CR just to be super wonky for a second in case they didn't get it by the deadline. It's a four day continuing resolution. So if you hear a headline tomorrow night, it, you know, the government's not going to shut down. They'll figure this out in the next few no. days. Uh, Speaker Pelosi had to strip billions of dollars out uh, in COVID response funding to get this passed because some lawmakers were upset to learn, essentially, without going too deep into this, some money already given to states would be clawed back to pay for this. Governors didn't like that. Lawmakers didn't like it. And so they took it all out, Bill. The White House says this is a big problem. It's an urgent need. Here's Press Secretary Jen Psaki talking about uh, what the fallout will be because of this money not being passed. In March, uh, testing capacity would will decline this month. In April, free testing and treatments for tens of millions of Americans without health insurance will end. In May, America's supply of monoclonal antibodies will run out. So failing to take action now will have severe consequences for the American people. 
severe consequences, Bill. Um, do you suspect there'll be another round on this, or does the administration need to prepare to end these COVID programs? I expect there'll be another round on this. I, this is this will go on. The money that was taken out, it was a $15 billion emergency package for COVID. Uh, yeah. This was over and above the 1.5, which is the total amount, 1.5 trillion for the total package. And uh, yes, you're right. Uh, this, some, uh, this is both Democrats and some Republicans who were opposed to uh, paying for this $15 billion through uh, such things as $7 billion reduction in state and local uh, relief funds that are out there, or even $100 million for higher, uh, that was in the American Recovery Plan for higher education. So it was a bipartisan uh, upsetness, if you like, about yeah. the uh, how, how they were paying for it. But, but this is not going to go away. Um, I, I do believe that uh, uh, we will have a continuation of debate on uh, additional funding necessary for COVID as we get big go forward. We're not out of this uh, as you know, we're not out of this completely yet, right. and we don't know what the situation may be down the road. So I think we have to be prepared, and I do believe we'll have another round at this. Well, it's interesting because this is the hard question, right? Whether it's COVID funding or something else, it's going to get more difficult. So goes uh, the conventional wisdom in a midterm election year to get anything passed. Yeah. Is and there I anything of significance, say- Bill, that you see moving through Capitol Hill after this budget process is done, or should lawmakers kind of go home? <laughs> no, they shouldn't go home. There's t- still plenty of work for them to do, particularly focusing on the uh, competitiveness bill, which is a bipartisan bill. Yeah. You see, uh, we call it, uh, this is the one that has bipartisan support was, uh, I believe, Mr. Schumer and Mr. Todd Young, a Republican Democrat supported in the Senate. It uh, passed the House. Uh, no, that's, that's going to be an important issue. I also honestly don't believe, um, unfortunately, that we've seen the end of additional funding needed uh, for the unfortunate situation in in the Ukraine today, right. uh, there was of course some money put in here, but uh, for the Ukraine, fourteen billion dollars. But remember, uh, even in the in the Afghanistan and fundings that we had back there, we were talking nearly sixty billion dollars. So I think we're going to sure. have another sure. round before it's all over with. Uh, and then I still think, uh, listen, I'm a, I want to be optimistic about this. I know <laughs> quote built back better is probably uh, not as it was, but uh, there's still a movement here to try to do something on prescription drugs or something to do Mm -hmm. as it relates still to child care. And so there may be a still an opportunity here. You don't throw away a reconciliation bill that only requires 51 votes in the Senate. You don't throw that away uh, uh, willy nilly. Uh, You keep it around and work on it to get to the point where you have 51 votes for some package. And I still think that's going to happen. Well, it's not just the midterm season that's challenging all of this stuff. It's the prospect of of continued rising inflation. You saw the CPI this morning, uh, Bill. This makes the requests a lot more difficult. You know, when you have Joe Manchin, uh, certainly as part of the Democratic caucus, does does that CPI number today mean that, that this omnibus is the last trillion dollar expenditure that we'll see this year, the last attempt at a massive uh, oh, it, piece of, of legislation, you know, something of that scale or size. Yeah. Yes. Just let's remember, this is a package which is funding the underlying government uh, operations of the of the 12 appropriation bills that were required right. to be done every year. So, but I do agree with you. You're not going to see another major package this year of this, of that magnitude. And certainly not going to see that even if there is something that's worked out on what, how are they going to redefine Build Back Better. Bill Hoagland, great to speak with you as always from the Bipartisan Policy Center. We'll see if more sanctions are coming though. We're going to assemble the panel next on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. The MiGs will stay parked in Poland. A controversial deal to provide fighter jets to Ukraine is now off. The White House says not worth the risk. The Pentagon said no. Republicans on Capitol Hill say it's not too late to do the right thing. We're going to take it to the panel and figure this out with Rick and Jeannie, Bloomberg Politics contributors. And thanks for being with us on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg Sound On. We've been talking about the MiGs. Russian-made MiG-29 jets slated for transfer to Ukraine. Poland made the offer, apparently not in concert with the Biden administration. And things got squirrely. If you listen to this broadcast, you've been hearing the daily drip on this. A lot of concerns about where they would come from, who would refuel them, how would they be rearmed, and would it represent an act of war enough for Russia to get into a direct confrontation with the U.S.? White House said this could be the beginning of World War III if it was done wrong. So the Pentagon said, no, you're not going to get the jets. A group of Republicans on Capitol Hill today, specifically in the Senate, including Mitt Romney, not pleased, holding a news conference to urge the White House to get back in the game here and give Ukraine the jets that President Zelensky requested. Here's Mitt Romney. Some say, well, this might be uh, provocative. My goodness, Russia has invaded a land in an unprovoked place. This is extraordinary that we're worried about that. By the way, we're, we're not going to stop the killing in Ukraine until we uh, in, in NATO fear Putin less than he fears us. It's time for here to fe- him to fear what we might do. That quote has been resonating in Washington today. Time for him to fear what we might do. Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa was there with Mitt Romney. The administration claims the reason they blocked this transfer is a concern about escalation. Really? Vladimir Putin is aware that American-provided stingers are killing Russians today. And our president knows that, too. America should be doing everything we can short of boots on the ground or in the air to protect Ukraine. This was all brought to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who held the White House briefing a short time later. What our assessment is based on is how to prevent a world war here, Peter, which is a significant um, weight that the intelligence community, the uh, Defense Department, and the President of the United States weighs at every moment in time. And so we assemble the panel for their take on all this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. They were, by the way, talking to Pete Alexander, the NBC uh, News reporter in the White House briefing room. What do you make of this, Rick? We've talked it up and down. Has the administration made the right decision or or should it, in fact, review what's just happened? No, this is like shades of the red line in the Obama administration, right? Oh, no, if they if they kill 200,000 civilians in Syria, then maybe we'll, you know, draw the red line. How many dead people in Ukraine are going to have to be uh, accounted for before we actually start playing this as what it is? It's a war of extinction. Vladimir Putin is fighting a war of extinction 
in Ukraine, and, and our administration just took a position that we didn't want to escalate. Well, how much can you escalate a war of extinction? So uh, this is just a practical thing. They're not our jets. They're Poland's jets. They're not our pilots. They're Ukrainian yeah. pilots. It's not our fuel. It's their fuel. So, I mean, like, I really think they're making a lot more out of this than they need to. Give Zelensky the tools he needs to repel an unnecessary attack on freedom. Well, Jeannie, the White House would say this is about saving American lives, that we don't want to expand this into a war involving NATO. Would, is, would that have been a path to, as Jen Psaki said, World War III if we give these jets to Ukraine? It could be. And and to Rick's point and to the senator's point, you know, almost everything we do and say, Putin says right out front is is provocative and is going over the line. You know, somebody said if we put a butter knife there, he's going to say it's provocative. So that is that is a, a very real criticism. But I think, you know, in fairness, the White House and the military said more than that. They also raised the very real question of what this would, in fact, achieve, whether it could be at all effective and if there were other ways to help Ukraine. And I do think, and you know, we talked about this earlier, two things. Number one, I get very nervous when Congress starts getting in the position of giving military advice and strategy. I do think that is best left to the military and the Pentagon. They are there for oversight, for funding and those things. Um, The other part of this, though, is I also think there's a real question here as to whether this would have in fact been done if the EU foreign affairs chief had hadn't talked about it publicly. Well, that's you know, right. I, it did the, come out of the blue there. And Poland, yeah. of course, acted without consulting the White House in making its offer. But why did it have to go through Germany, Jeannie? Just send your jets if you want to send well, them. Well, that's I was just going to raise that. You know, and then they did this sort of surprise announcement. That, oh, it's okay. We're going to send it to Ramstein Air Base. Yeah. At which point the Chancellor of Germany said, absolutely not. not. You're not coming here. So, you know, part of this is, yes, Poland, to Rick's point, can do what it wants with its own jets. But the United States also has to have a position here. It's hard to say no to Zelensky. I get that. But I think the military chiefs should be listened to and respected in some of this. Rick, Jeannie is right. She's talking about this. Uh, the, the conclusion of our intelligence community is apparently these MiGs wouldn't have helped a lot. This is kind of another uh, rationale that's been added to the risk involved. Here's how Jen Psaki put it. Adding aircraft to the inventory is not likely to significantly change the effectiveness of the Ukrainian Air Force relative to Russian capabilities. The Ukrainian Air Force has several squadrons of fully mission capable aircraft. So are, are they changing their tune on this, Rick? I mean, if Zelensky says he needs them, does it matter what the Pentagon thinks? Yeah, just to, to put this in perspective, it's not a bunch of senators making this decision. It's the president of the country that's under assault by an invader who is saying, give me the jets. So you've got to have some confidence that Zelensky knows how to fight the war that is at his doorstep. And if Zelensky thinks it's a good idea, I think we need to think it's a good idea. Because the one thing that you do not want to be in the position of is being penny wise and pound foolish, that Mm -hmm. we're going to sit there and say, oh, no, we, we don't think you need jets. And then something bad happens. And, 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 and Zelensky is forced into exile and the Russians take over Ukraine. And it wasn't, you know, and, and we're standing there with a bunch of jets. It could have been employed in the, in the fight. We don't know what the tipping point is. We are learning every day as civilians, uh, you know, watching, you know, these, these news shows about a, a war that's happening in real yeah. time. 
and, and what we do know is that the, we need to support the Ukrainians. And if the Ukrainians say they need those jets, I think we need to do everything we can post-haste to get jets to the Ukrainians. Spending time with Rick and Jeannie for this half hour as we hear another warning about a false flag operation. Did you see the thread that Jen Psaki tweeted last night about a chemical weapons attack? We heard from the intelligence chiefs testifying again today on Capitol Hill about this very matter. And we'll talk about it next on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The White House press secretary takes to Twitter to warn of a possible Russian chemical attack against Ukraine. You see the thread? It's a long one. Jen Psaki tweets, we took note of Russia's false claims about alleged U.S. biological weapons labs and chemical weapons development in Ukraine. She goes on to write, now that Russia has made those claims, we should all be on the lookout for Russia to possibly use chemical or biological weapons in Ukraine or to create a false flag operation using them. She was pressed if she had evidence for such an attack during today's White House press briefing. Here's Jen Psaki. The main issue that prompted my Twitter thread yesterday was that uh, Russia has a history also of inventing outright lies like this, which is the suggestion that the United States has a chemical and biological weapons program, or Ukraine does, that they're operating. Russia is the one, is the country that has a chemical and biological. Jen Psaki from earlier at the White House. The nation's intelligence chiefs were also asked about it. The headline on the terminal, U.S. spy chiefs reject Russia's claims of Ukraine bioweapons. Here's Avril Haines, director of national intelligence, testifying before the Senate Intelligence Committee and Senator Marco Rubio asking questions. Does Ukraine have any biological weapons research facilities? No, let me be clear. We do not assess that Ukraine is pursuing either biological weapons or nuclear weapons, which have been some of the, uh, basically, the, the propaganda that Russia is putting out. And this follows a pattern that we have seen with the U.S. intelligence community putting out information as soon as they have it as some form of deterrent. And it's actually been working in many cases, particularly in the early part of uh, this conflict when Russia was engaging in false flag operations. We reassemble the panel now for more on this with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Jeannie, is this the way it should go with the White House press secretary tweeting false claims as soon as they arrive in the hands of American intelligence? It, it's certainly a new way to wage a war, and, and it has to go this way. And I think another really chilling aspect of this story is the fact that China has joined Russia 
in making these false claims. You know, the foreign minister a couple times now Mm -hmm. has accused the United States of being engaged in the building of biological and chemical weapons. And when asked about it, he has doubled down on that. So while China has wanted to sort of turn away from what is happening in Ukraine, it has not turned away from this information war and joining Russia. And that is a very, very scary proposition. CIA Director William Burns also testified during the hearing. This is something, as as all of you know very well, is very much a part of Russia's playbook. They've used those weapons against their own citizens. Um, They've at least encouraged the use in Syria and elsewhere. So it's something we take very seriously. I'm sure you take it seriously, Rick Davis. Is it something that you expect to see? Would that not... We talk about war crimes. We're hearing allegations of war crimes. Would that not escalate things beyond what we've seen yet? Oh, certainly would. I mean, the use of uh, biological or weapons of mass destruction uh, are uh, an additionally uh, huge charge. And we've been talking about escalation all this time. You know, what is the Western uh, community's response to use of uh, weapons of mass destruction? Uh, You know, we we made the mistake a few years ago, and I hate to go back to Syria again, but Mm -hmm. uh, we actually allowed Vladimir Putin to be in charge of a stockpile of uh, weapons of mass destruction that the Assad regime had. You know, remember, uh, well, we've put it, Russians are there and they're going to take care of those things. And then they used them uh, against the people of Syria. And so I, I, I think one of the things, too, I was watching the John Kirby uh, uh, press conference, the yep. uh, spokesman for the, the Defense Department. These are fascinating. And the press were asking him about this yesterday. And he asked me, he's like, are you serious? Do I have to answer that question? Are you now just aping Russian propaganda? I mean, so I think there's a piece on this that we have to think about, and that is – how is the press handling this? Because there is no free press in Russia, right? Mm-hmm. Russians are only hearing what the the propagandists are giving them. And, and yet, are we chasing around the propaganda that the Russians are sticking out and the Chinese, as Jeannie says, um, uh, and, and treating it as if, you know, it's equal to fact? And so I, I think those are the kinds of things that, that I think we have to deal with as a modern war community where uh, we have a, a, an opponent in Russia who are willing to say and do anything to support what what they're doing? The the, the latest claims on the bombing of the maternity ward yes, in the right. hospital. Uh, that, oh no, these these weren't pregnant women. They yeah. they it was a battalion of terrorists. And I mean, it's just it's outrageous. And so I think we've got to call them out. And I think the administration's strategy of moving our intelligence community out there is smart. But we also have to look insert, inside and say, uh, hey, uh, should we even be re- re- reporting this kind of propaganda? Well, should then the press secretary not have tweeted that last night, Rick? I guess I- I'm curious for your take on that, because some suggested that that putting all of this stuff out about a false flag operation, letting people know in advance what they were hearing about Russian intelligence was actually a deterrent. Are, are you suggesting otherwise? You know, I, I, I don't I, I can't tell. Right. I don't know if it's a deterrent to anything. I don't think anything we do is a deterrent to Vladimir Putin. Right. We put all this stuff out about Vladimir Putin next week will be invading um, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Ukraine. And, right. and, and everyone said at the time, hey, this is brilliant. We're using intelligence to uh, to deter him. It did not deter him one single day. Right. He was always going to invade. He did it on his timetable. He didn't care what we said or did about it. And I think it, we don't want to kid ourselves. Right. Uh, we should be warning him every single day about the conduct of this war. We should be making diplomatic uh, protestations in China today for spreading falsehoods. Um, it's okay to call him out on it, but like let's let's actually try to take uh, actions 
that will either punish him immediately for it, like yep. new sanctions or or new weapon systems going to the Ukraine that otherwise wouldn't be there if not for the fact that he's now looking like he's setting up a false flag event for for use of weapons of mass destruction. Jeannie, we're at the three week mark today. When I hear Rick talk like this, when I hear Mitt Romney, when I hear Joni Ernst, I hear the calls to do more. Just send the jets, for instance. How long can Joe Biden promise Americans that the United States military will not be involved in this? It is going to be increasingly tough. I mean, the maternity ward attack that that Rick just mentioned, you see those devastating pictures. We're surrounded by them 24-7 on our cell phones and our Mm -hmm. iPhones, and it becomes increasingly hard for the president to maintain this pledge. I think he's going to try to do that. Um, And I would say, you know, another thing that we haven't talked a lot about tonight, but I think is very real in the near future is the threat of a cyber attack, both in the United States and Mm -hmm. in the West. And, you know, one question that has been asked that the administration has not responded to as directly is the question of if there is an attack, say, on our transportation systems, oil, food, whatever it is, are we going to respond with forces on the ground then? Will the military get involved or does this have to be military, Russian military over the line in a NATO country? Those are very real questions. And this sort of silence on cyber so far from Russia is a very scary proposition to many experts because it can't be but a matter of time before they use their skills in cyber to launch some very devastating attacks in the West. Well, so what do you think, Rick? Is it not just a matter of time before the American military is somehow involved here? If Vladimir Putin does not care about sanctions, doesn't care about uh, the the strategy here of putting out intelligence when the U.S. receives it, what's going to keep him from bombing a supply line, creeping over the border in uh, in in Poland or Moldova? It's just how realistic is this approach? Well, first of all, two things. One, if they do uh, in, invade or attack anything in a NATO country, then that's mm-hmm. a different set of circumstances. Then sure. U.S. troops will be involved, right? And Germany troops will be involved and, and British troops will be involved. And, and that is the rules of the road. That is why uh, Vice President Harris spoke out very clearly while she was in country this morning in a speech she gave uh, that said, uh, Article 5 is Article 5. We yep. will stand by that. If there is one incursion, it will be dealt with firmly and fiercely. So, so that is one set of circumstances. It, can you keep U.S. troops out of Ukraine? Certainly, because the Ukrainian troops are proving to us that they have the metal to fight Russia. We used to think, oh, at the start of this, look at 190,000 troops amassed on the yeah, border. They'll right. roll into Kiev in, in two days. That's you right. just said it. Three weeks later, these guys uh-huh. are bogged down. The Ukrainians are, are, are beating back some of these, these troops. But if we don't support them, that will not last. And it's only if we can tip the balance with the Ukrainians on the ground does this whole process of trying to get Putin back to status quo ante going to work? Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano being faced with very difficult questions on a daily basis here on the air. And I, I love talking with both of you and appreciate your insights. The fact is there are no easy answers, although we do ask them every night here on the fastest hour in politics. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.